good fit. Uh, Give me $50,000 or I'll kick your ass. That feels appropriate. Yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'll send, to, I'll send the cat to eat your eyeballs. I'm a little okay. softer than I was in high school, but <laughs> all things considered. We all mellow out as we get older, don't we? <laughs> mellow, just repress it more. Yeah, repress okay. it, repress it. Yeah. I like repress to think it. I'm. I like to think I mellowed out, but then again, I don't know. I've been told that I seem quite angry to people. Column A, a little column from column B. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of uh, column A, a little bit of column. Okay, all right. I'm going to get judged here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just legit trying to think of like the right way to describe it. It's like the same level is there, but it's like you stopped drinking espresso and just went to regular coffee. Okay. All right, that tracks. So it's like yeah. the passion is still there. It's just like not as much like, like ah, it's like ah. You don't have the energy behind it anymore. <laughs> yeah, more sleep. You know that's it. More more sleep deprived and not as much teenage energy. As my yeah. Twitter bio says, awake but at what cost? <laughs> I think I, entire, I almost sent that in as my bio. It's just going to be Allison Sutton is awake but at what cost? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I have a t-shirt somewhere that says death before decaf. So I, I mean, wasn't yeah. that a, uh, a death, co- death coffee company? Death, wi- de- death wish yeah, coffee. Death wish coffee. Wish coffee. Yeah. 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 That's the almost gave me a heart attack and I still drink it. I, the, uh, I feel my, like that um, college and grad school roommate, um, Alex, she is, there are people who are addicted to coffee. And then there is Alex who found out once that I had brought decaf into the house and nearly killed me. <laughs> One of the first gifts that her partner gave her was um, it's a necklace that the charm has like the chemical equation for caffeine on it. Amazing. Like the atomic. I, I am an art student. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> the, yeah. This no. thing. <laughs> the molecular structure. Yes. yes there we that. go. God. She was like, never do that again. <laughs> or at least warn me. Yeah, no, I don't know if I don't know if my roommates would be like that. But if I started drinking decaf, they'd step like it would be like they consider that a cry for help. It's like, are you? Yeah, I'd be a little concerned if you were like, listen, are you all right? It's like, no, not really. (laughs) Just like, do we need to like, are you going to a doctor? Is there like a heart condition? Like what's going on? Like talk to me. (laughs) Well, with me, it was that I was trying to cut out like I was trying to cut out like alcohol and caffeine to help manage my anxiety a little bit better. And I right. was just like, okay, I would rather be anxious and fast than anxious, but have a caffeine withdrawal headache. So <laughs> that's why I have my emotional support diet coke. <laughs> see, yep. see, see me. I just, I just quit smoking. Like that was, that was. Oh, my I thing. did that last year. That was a pain in the ass. Dude, quit smoking over twenty twenty was a dumb idea. But oh yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only time I tried to go off of caffeine was during finals, my junior year of college. And no. it was unintentional. But then what I would do is I couldn't, because also insomnia, like I would study for my finals at three in the morning on like the exercise bike at the gym. So I would do that on no food and no caffeine and was like, I don't understand why the information is not being absorbed into my brain. I might have an idea. (laughs) Like bad thoughts all around. It was a terrible decision. And like I got through it. My roommate was like, please don't do that again. I was very concerned about you. And I'm like, okay, it's fair. I did cut out caffeine for a good month after that, though. I did manage to do it. And now I've proven to myself that I can do it. 
20 run your, I honestly 20 run year, you I it. went almost two years without drinking and then about a year without caffeine. So it can God be damn. done. I was also chain smoking, but. Place one vice with another. You can't just like be a healthy person, cold turkey. Like it just, no, it's work. impossible. <laughs> I, I have met one person who did it. He quit drinking over 2020 and then he quit smoking afterwards and has kept off of both of them. And I'm like, you have willpower that I do not understand. There are, he is the exception that proves the rule. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He is an outlier. <sighs> Speaking of outliers, shall we get started? Yes, let's okay. get started. Um, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dark Waters, a literary podcast focused on dark fiction and those who love to read and write it. I'm Kirsten, here as always with Nathan. Hi, everybody. And I'm very happy to introduce our guest today, Allison Sutton. Hello. Allison is a former gifted kid turned art student turned corporate drone. She is the mother of 14 houseplants, one cat, and unknowable unfinished drafts. She is currently working on both historical horror and historical romance because she contains multitudes. Her motto is actually, and she has strong opinions on the Great Lakes. (laughs) That's about it. Also, she is awake, but at what cost? But at what cost? (laughs) You said that to me, and I was like, I, this might be my favorite bio that I've ever gotten. We've had like, yeah, we have like authors and stuff who are like, this is like my accomplishments. This is like a joke. And I like, you know, this is perfect. This is all I Nothing I said in there is incorrect. I counted my houseplants to make sure that I wasn't being facetious. It is correct. And yet it is still hilarious. I admire so, your dedication. I wish I had that much dedication to houseplants. I, I kill them. I kill them all. It's really bad. I I used to, and then um, I got a houseplant a couple, like about two years ago, and then it just kind of spiraled. <laughs> there you go. And Once you get the one to stay alive. It continues to spiral. <laughs> and where I stop, nobody knows. <laughs> when you're like being eaten alive by like a poison ivies type situation when they like take over you know i've got one above my desk it's kind of (laughs) close it's a jumanji situation when you when you feel like an extra situation when you feel like an extra jumanji Jumanji, that's that's when you've gone too far yeah so allison and i met uh through my sister actually uh my did i it was sometime when i was a young one very young one (laughs) Like pre eyeliner days. I'm oh yeah, you. you're you're a you're a pure innocent soul. So oh God, you were what four? <laughs> you knew me when I didn't swear. Like that's I how... took you to your first R-rated movie, Kirsten. You did. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You met when you met when you were like four. No, I think well, it was... I've known her sister. I've known yeah. um, your sister since probably sixth, seventh, fifth, or sixth grade. I think. Yeah, and we started think, becoming really good friends in um, like high school. Yeah. So I've yeah, I've known you a pretty long time for a while. Yeah, and Allison was actually the first person who I just remember we were in Connor's office, and you were reading sections of Twilight and just how the eye color kept changing from like butterscotch to like yep. crystal blue or whatever else. I don't actually yep. remember the other name, which is butterscotch. It's something so like that. Yeah, read Twilight. And it was so bad that I then had to read all the rest of them. And I blame you for that abomination. <laughs> You're oh, welcome. My eyeballs. <laughs> no, it's been so weird to me. Is that like Twilight is having this weird renaissance right now? It so is because of Midnight Sun. I Fuck. almost read them over the summer. I got talked out of it by a friend. though. Well, because Midnight Sun came back. And yeah, and I was like, like, okay, I'm really curious about this. Because like, I don't... 
not to be like a millennial edgelord or anything here, but I truly do hate Twilight. I do not think that it is interesting. There are parts of it that are interesting, like create some kind of nifty vampire lore, but it's so, how much can I swear on this? Swear as much as you fucking want. Oh, thank fucking God. (laughs) Anyway, it's so goddamn boring. And like, when you start looking at it as an adult, you're just like, why is she into a dude who drives a Volvo and wears khakis? Okay, hold on a second. (laughs) Okay, no, as a 16-year-old girl, what is she? And Listen, you can have the Volvo so or you can have the closet as a teenager that I was hiding Christmas presents, but still. <laughs> also, he's apparently the bad boy and he's like Volvo and khaki. I don't. Anyway, also, what's really upsetting is that she's doing the another series on Rena, Renaissance Chicken and Jacob. And it's apparently not pedophilic because they're also, they're all going to high school together. So Bella's redoing high school for the first time with her daughter who now looks 18. So it's not creepy that Jacob wants to fuck her. None of this is healthy. Why did they allow this? What publishing company said, this is a good idea for young, impressionable minds. Mormons. I'm upset. Yeah. (laughs) My God. And I read bodice rippers. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I told you I contain multitudes. (laughs) (laughs) So on a different... I've been reading most of my life, and that's horror and romance. Such a good combo, though. And if you can mash them together... That's actually been my new project. Is that's uh, that's oh, that's forever what I'm chasing. Like I'm look, I was looking at your questions, and I'm just like, I want to write like a really good, solid horror romance. I'd read that. I'd read yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So since you mentioned the questions and less and different types of dark fiction, the ones that don't necessarily make us want our eyeballs to bleed out of our skulls, um, <laughs> what do you normally classify under the header of dark fiction? Why do you love it? What are you specifically looking for when you're looking for a new book in that genre? Um, so just to preface, I am a very um, omnivorous reader. I will literally read anything if it sounds interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was When I was unpacking my books over the past week because I just moved, I don't understand me. <laughs> so it's just it's anything that runs the gambit from, um, I read a lot of classical literature because I like to have a good base in my genres. Um, it goes to, again, bodice rippers. I do collect, I do collect category romance because I think they're interesting. Um, and then I do, of course, read dark fiction and horror. I wouldn't be here otherwise. <laughs> but um, for me, it's definitely with looking for looking through dark fiction as well as any genre, I am looking for a story that really intrigues me. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking about it more after I got the questions and this became more of a reality. And I realized, crap, I have to talk intelligently for the first no, time since no. grad school. <laughs> Um, I am very interested in stories that are driven by characters, rather good characters. I want to find a character that I either like. I mean, I, that's kind of like the baseline. You want to you at least have somebody that you don't mind being in their head. Mm-hmm. Or at least somebody's head that's like so weird that like you just want to see what the hell happens. You need to know what their thought process is like. Uh, I'm looking for a character that intri- that's interests me and a story that's driven by that character's actions that to me are intriguing whether that's like a really um, high concept, high concept plot, 
or if it's something as simple as, um, I mean, one of my favorite books is um, Sharp Objects by Jillian Flynn. I like mm-hmm. that it starts mm-hmm. so simply with, she's going back to her hometown to cover a, cover a story. And you start, everything starts kind of threading out from there. Like that's kind of what I enjoy. I actually read that book a um, month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Finally finished it because I wanted to see it before I watched the TV show because I like Amy Adams. And I find it was really interesting because I I knew what was like, it's one of those things where I knew what the ending was going to be pretty early on, but I was still mm-hmm. like really invested in that main character, right? Like yeah, I wanted like, to finish the Camille book. Camille is a really interesting character. And she's somebody yeah. that, um, I actually haven't watched the series either because I live under a rock, essentially. <laughs> I, I don't watch, like not, in, I don't mean this in like a pretentious, oh, I don't watch TV. I don't watch TV. I, I, I watch, I like my TV is right next to my, it's right over here. I watch what we do in the shadows and then like people, like people who make charts of things on YouTube. Yeah, it's like... It's not that I don't watch TV. I just watch the same thing. I watch the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Trust me, I watched like the first two seasons of Dark Shadows like 10 times. <laughs> but I do, I love, like, I love the character of Camille in Sharp Objects. I think she's one of my favorite, um, just in general, and a lot of fiction I read. I think she's such an interesting character to read about because she is, she is so... I hate using the word haunted as an instance. She is so dragged down by what happened, what's happened to her. And she can't, and she can't see past that to the person that she's become. And I find that really compelling and to read about as a character, especially as a narrator. I think it was also interesting that her growth wasn't defined within the story. Like no. she didn't start to grow until the epilogue really, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. Um, but Back on this. What is the last book you read that left you heartbroken in pieces or had you keep all the lights on in the house for an indefinite period of time? So this is not, I, I had to think about this one because this is not, this is not dark fiction, but I need, I need to talk about it. Okay. Um, the book is Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Coe. It is, it is it's a really beautiful um, um queer coming of age story that happens in the 1950s and 1950s early 60s in San Francisco and it's a lot about um it's just a lot about real about realizing being a teenager and realizing essentially like who you are is not who you thought you were finding a group of people that really support that and then having that all completely ripped out from under you because again it's the late 50s early 60s in San Francisco and being a lesbian wasn't necessarily you know acceptable or good so it's just it's reading the end of that book just like it dragged like something up from within me and like squeezed it dry and then just threw it on the floor (laughs) and I'm reading it and like the book has like a token epilogue and I'm just like I don't know if it's gonna work out guys I don't know oh god like that was not enough sorry That does not heal me of the wound you have given me. No, it did. <laughs> Sorry, you said it was last night at the Telegraph Club? Yeah, last night at the Telegraph Club. Uh, Melinda, and that's M-A-L-I-N-D-A-C-O. Is that Coastal it's just, with a K? It's, it's lovely. It's really beautiful. But again, I just kind of sat there after it was done, and I was like, why? <laughs> How was Co spelled? K-O. Okay, all right. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. yeah. I no, mean, I love those stories though, right? That like 
if you like just emotionally devastate me make me literally run away from my emotions because I can't handle it yeah I was like I need to go read something involving like a really distasteful rake or something like I, I need something dumb there was actually um so it's not quite not quite on the same vein, but a little bit of like a coming of age story as well, where it's actually, it's a queer crime novel set in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's one of those things of the, the character is someone who's like, she knows, she knows she's queer. She came back from college as like, she had to drop out. She couldn't afford it anymore. She came back to her hometown in Arkansas and fall, like basically falls in love with a girl she had a crush on in high school. If I'm remembering this correctly. Uh, but then it's like this whole thing of realizing this person is not who I thought they were. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, I have no idea who I am. Why am I cooperating with all this? And there's like aspects of just, it talks about like identity in small towns and like the cattiness of what are like good Christian people and mm-hmm. also things like drugs, addiction, uh, just criminal activity. It's called Cottonmouths. Cottonmouths. Cotton yeah. Mouth. Yeah. By Kelly Joe Ford. So it's K-E-L-L-I-J-O and then for the car. But okay. it was one of those books that like I got in, I got there for the crime, but then after it was done, I was just kind of like, I did not expect this to be this like emotionally heavy and I need to just not deal with this for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I read the book and I was like, like I had heard that it was, it was kind of a heavier, it was, it was a heavier new adult. I'm like, okay, I'll go into it and we'll see. I, I again, I like historical fiction. Um, was not expecting it to um, punch me repeatedly <laughs> in my stomach. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like I find most historical fiction does that. And that's why I don't read it as much anymore. Because I'm like, I don't need to feel my emotions right now. It's the last thing I need. <laughs> you know what? I'm like a contemporary. What's this? <laughs> <laughs> Electricity, you say. <laughs> What is this new black magic? <laughs> I feel like that's my problem with contemporary fiction, though. Is like, I'm sorry, if that's my problem with historical fiction. That's why I don't read it as much, is because mm. I'm like, hmm, you guys are assholes. I know we're assholes today, you but like, to, we're like, still assholes. <laughs> Everyone's an asshole. That's, and that's the thing that you can never remember. Like, I tell, I have a couple of friends that have gotten into romance ever since Bridgerton came out because that was kind of like our gate, like our gateway. It's like, ha ha, we're in. (laughs) um, I keep telling people, you have to remember the following things about historical romance novels. You're reading about landlords, first of all. These guys are inherently assholes who benefit from the enclosure acts and all these horrifying things that like really denigrate working class people. And two, everybody is shitting in a bucket under their bed. <laughs> Takes the romance away pretty quick. I mean, you could have just, you could have just stopped if I'm reading a, Like if I'm reading a historical romance or historical fiction in general, and I don't like a main male character, I'm like, you shit in, your, under, in a box under your bed. You could have just stopped at Landlords because as a rule like i I, landlord's bad shitting in a bucket (laughs) (laughs) well i cut my i like i first got interested in historical fiction when i was younger through irish folk music which they're always so much cooler than how i got into historical fiction (laughs) (laughs) it's like they're bashing landlords constantly because it's the symbol of british imperialism well well, Um, yes (laughs) so you could have no uh for me historical fiction was uh 
the Dear America books and American Girl doll. So uh, true, yeah. true. Yeah. That was a good gateway. Yeah, oh, not man. not not me. Sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, you mean you didn't want to read about Kit in the 1920s, Nathan? Really? That wasn't your jam? <sighs> it wasn't. You didn't per, you didn't form a personality based around the doll that you you had when you were eight. I'm pretty sure if I even like, don't touch other girls. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I even picked up one of the American Girl books, I would have been beaten. <laughs> oh man! Well, okay. So Kirsten, you I might be the only remember. person that under that gets this, but um, I was told by a friend. A friend asked me once. She was like, "Okay, what doll did you have?" And I was like, "Okay, I had Samantha." And she was like, "Of course you fucking had Samantha." Rhiannon had Samantha, Samantha too. Was like, what was Rhiannon's with Samantha? <laughs> Rhiannon and I are both Samanthas. Okay? <laughs> like, there's no getting around. <laughs> I was so annoyed because Rhiannon got Samantha because it looked like because I think my mom's justification was that Samantha looked like her. Mm-hmm. And then they got me Kristen because of the name. And Samantha was cool and like pretty, and Kristen was not. She was a German yeah, farmer. The most hardcore storyline after Addie. So. She's like, okay. they were preparing you to survive. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I love you too. Now get out on the prairies. <laughs> Damn. I was going to say, what's the last book you read that left you with a positive impression on the world? Hopefully, it wasn't that long ago. The American Girl era. <laughs> um, so for positive, uh, let's see. Positive, it was honestly um, just like this really fluffy, again, rom-com-y type book that I read. It's called Rosaline Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall. Okay. It is a romantic comedy set against a fictional like Great British Bake Off type show. Like oh. it is warm. And it is fuzzy and like there are a lot of shitheads in it, but those shitheads get theirs at the end. And it has some of the most creative swearing I've ever seen in my life. Do you enjoy that? I do love creative swearing. And if it was you, just one of those books where like, I finished it and I just did the happy contented sigh where I went, yeah. okay, this is a book where I'm going to close it. And everybody's going to be fine. Okay. Sometimes you need that. Balance. Unlike some books where it's like um it's the gif of Donald Glover in community where he leaves and he comes back with pizzas and everything's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> there are books like that. Oh, my man. favorite Donald Glover line in community, I'm sorry, you might also be you might also know this when he says, Are you a horror movie? Did, jo- uh, did Clive Barker write you? <laughs> Every time it kills me because I love Clive Barker so much. But yes, sometimes you need the like. You, you need to just close have a book where you're like, okay, everybody's going to be fine here. It's the it's a literary palate cleanser is what it basically is. It, it was my palate cleanser. Did and I was, I was telling me the... before we started recording, I have moved and had COVID within the past two weeks. So like oh, I needed no. the, I needed a palate cleanser. Are you okay now? Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow is my last day of quarantine. Um, today is, I'm finally on the up. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that. that you're yeah. okay. Fully yeah. vaccinated. Entire family is fully vaccinated. My parents went to Utah and came back and gave. We all had COVID. So excellent. Yay! That's, Utah. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Utah. So, Utah, so I'm glad. now my list of states I have beef with. 
<laughs> I feel like we had beef with Utah before. I don't know. I had you. No, that would be fair. Of- Utah's a strange place. Strange place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of mentioned this already with um, horror, horror romance, but is there a story you've always wanted to write or see in writing and like kind of getting more into that? Um, as far as writing goes, there is a story that lives in my head rent free. Like I have the characters, I have the setting, I have everything. But the second I sit down to write it, something in my brain goes, no, not ready. Not yet. Not yet. And I think the issue is that it's not, it's not something that I've ever written before. So it scares me a little bit. And it is very much that horror romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that like, I know with the ending, it can't be happy, which for me would be a challenge. I've not written anything with an, with an unhappy ending before. Because I just, I need, I need things to be finished. <laughs> So it's just a struggle of one, I need to make myself stop researching and two, I need to just sit down and try it. I won't know otherwise. And it's um, very much, it takes place. It's, it's historical. <laughs> I know that's shocking to both of you. What era are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking probably about 1880s, 1880s, 1770s, 1880s, because for me, I wanted to, it, the idea is that it takes place at the height of the spiritualism craze in London. Mm-hmm. And it's a combination of, um, so spiritualism, what is real, what is fake? This notion of what will you do to survive is kind of like, it's kind of what 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 really lies under the surface with both of the character main characters, and then um, basically good old fashioned con artistry and murder. So it's kind of it's something that it, if I could if I could kind of like thread the needle on it being both horror, romance, and gothic, I would be very happy. <laughs> That sounds really interesting. I'd really like to read that, actually. We'd love to read that. I have done so much research for this. Like, again, the characters, they live right up here, but none of, neither of them are ready to talk. Force them. Well, torture them. Make them talk. Yeah. <laughs> Force them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, what's what's interesting to me with, with the two characters, that notion of what you will do to survive. The one is, um, she is a con artist. Like, that's been her entire life is running con running short cons with her sister in order to survive they got into the spiritualism racket again to survive um her male counterpart is an uh, is a middle class white man at the height of the british empire he's never had to force himself to survive mm-hmm. so i want to take i want to rip him out rip him out from the comfortable drawing room and throw him in the pit and see what he'll do <laughs> i wholeheartedly support this <laughs> that's my all of my writing it's like yeah sure i write about privileged white men sometimes but i'm gonna throw him in the pit eventually <laughs> They got to get their comeuppance. Everybody pays. <laughs> As a privileged I'm just, white, like, doing the Mister Burns smile right now. I know yeah, that's not an audio <laughs> translation, but like doing the Mister Burns smile. As a privileged yeah. white man, I wholeheartedly support this. <laughs> Throw him in the pit. <laughs> just like the Sparta kick. Like, no. Yeah, our generation is too soft. <laughs> well, so on that note, actually, um, because you're talking about your own process when you're reading someone else's work what are some ways you kind of approach like helping them kind of improve it what are some things you look for either in a critical way or like things that have potential like when you're editing someone else's work um so i definitely read the excerpt a couple of times as a reader just to see what jumped out at me from okay this is what i enjoyed reading this is what i didn't so much mm-hmm. and then it was okay how can we polish what i did what i enjoyed and kind of make it stronger and stand out more what grabbed me what could we draw more attention to and then in terms of improvement, okay, how can we make this more like what I enjoy? Gotcha. gotcha. So kind of just bring it, um, 
really bringing into focus what work what works what works for me and then kind of going okay what's what's going on over here that why did I not enjoy it and then just examining is that a me problem generally it's a me problem and <laughs> it's also okay how can we kind of how can we kind of take that polish it up and really make it make it something that stands out or at least flows better into the narrative okay all right I look forward to reading what you what you put in the what you put in the story. Going through all our notes. Um, so on the reverse end, what do you what kind of style do you prefer when someone is examining your work? What kind of feedback works for you, and what really doesn't? Well, first of all, I never want to be criticized ever because everything I write is perfect on the first try. <laughs> yep, <laughs> everything is perfect. Okay, Jack Carroll. There are no all tries. Right. Everything is awesome. <laughs> No, for me, um, I, whenever I send something off to a friend to just read, mostly to read through it, like informally and just be like, hey, can you tell me how this flows? It's, I tell them to look for kind of where, I know where my weaknesses are as a writer. And for me, it's definitely, it's, um, it's not so much dialogue. I've been told that I write very good dialogue. I just have a hard time like looping it back in with the block. Mm. If that makes sense. It's like, I can write the description really well and I can write the, write the um, dialogue very well. But sometimes they just kind of feel like just smashed together. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely for me. I like people that I like. I like people that can like look at my flow really well. Mm-hmm. And then also additionally, I just like people to tell me what different like different words to use because you start to like you pick a word that you like and you just kind of you keep using it because mm. it sounds good. Yeah. Lately, I've been using certainly a lot. <laughs> uh, I like just the word certainly like. I'm looking through, I was looking over something that I wrote the other day for my um, historical romance. I'm like, why do I, why is everybody saying certainly? It's like 10 no, times in one tea scene. <laughs> I don't think I you need a certain it. over tea. <laughs> I never had like a word or I don't know, like I could definitely, it's I always phrasing. have like one it's gesture, phrasing. one gesture that every one of my characters mm-hmm. does. And for a while it was for one of the drafts of the book that's coming out in May, um, it was everyone ran their fingers through their hair. Mm-hmm. Like incessantly. Everyone was just going bald, apparently. which is like, Bleh. And it took like a, sure one person being like, why is everyone obsessed with their hair for me to realize what I'd done and that I've given every single character the same gesture? And I was like, oh, oops. My, mine, at yeah. least in, mine kind of in this, in this novel and then like a draft novel that I've, that will never see the light of day until it is completely remade. It was smoking like every single character smoked because I was just kind of like, that's that's a good way to relieve stress. That's absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And like they all like smoke the exact same way. And I'm just like, this, this is weird. This needs to stop. This is too much. <laughs> just came out of a Dorian Gray. Sorry, just came out of an Oscar Wilde Dorian Gray universe. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Or like I watched too much Cowboy Bebop, like one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> Either way. But so speaking of Oscar Wilde, um, as you're looking at the literary world, Allison, which authors would you say have been like the most influential on you or which have like stuck with you the most? So this I had to think about to give an answer that is cool and sound because <laughs> we all have our little literary skeletons in the closet. <laughs> Mine is Nora Roberts, but... Um... You need to go back and explain yourself. Nora Roberts is one of the most prolific authors to ever exist. If you look at her output, it is insane. She is disciplined. She works hard. She sells books. If they become formulaic, they become formulaic. But she's she's impressive as far as her work ethic goes and output. So I find that I find that interesting. Okay. 
um, from an actual standpoint of authors I respect and I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> um, it's definitely Gillian Flynn um, for me as far as dark fiction goes. Um, I think I read Gone Girl when it first came out and I was, that was the first book that I had stayed up until like 3 a.m. to read for in ages because I'm an old woman and I go to bed at nine. So um, <laughs> I just remember I read it. I had to go to bed because I had my internship the next morning. And then I'm literally just at lunch. I'm like hunched over, like reading it, reading with my nose to the page. Cause I'm like, I cannot stop reading this book because someone will spoil it for me. But um, so Jillian Flynn, Shirley Jackson um, definitely is a really big influence for me. Um, and I actually came to Shirley Jackson very late. Um, I didn't start reading her until I was probably about 25, 26. His, um, my nickname in my family is Alley Cat. And somebody asked me if that was a, um, we have always lived in the castle reference, like Mary Cat. I'm like, what? I don't think so. So I actually, I read it and then I read everything else. And I love Shirley Jackson a lot. Mm-hmm. And then just as far as kind of, um, because I read so much popular literature in an effort to kind of go just to, I love popular literature. Like, I don't know why I'm pretend. I, I love, I love my pulp. <laughs> And then as far as those authors go, um, Deanna Rayborn is a really solid mystery writer. And she does write, again, historical fiction, but she um, is a very solid mystery writer, great plotter, um, interesting characters. She writes a really good female perspective from the late 19th century that feels rooted in the late 19th century, but it feels of its time, but it doesn't feel too transgressive. You feel like you're reading somebody that could have actually like functioned and existed in this world, but who's not too rooted in that if that makes sense mm, yeah yeah and then uh just to throw it in here because again i'm trash um <laughs> julia quinn to be quite honest <laughs> here's Ooh. the thing about julia quinn and the bertrichens books if they wanted to adopt oh. they could have couldn't have started the better series <laughs> to Sorry, bring Nancy, in you can't even hide it no, I, 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 I a fantastic I, writer <laughs> i i did yeah. i i honestly didn't recognize the name because i I had never heard of the Bridgerton series until the series, until the, the TV show came out. I've been reading these book, those books since high school. Okay. Sorry, what were you saying about the adaptation? With the As far as adaptations of romance go, like there's always been like this thing of, why did you make more romance? It's like, no, because some of them are really bad. Like the Bridgerton series, um, they're above my desk. Um, they're really well written. They have very relatable characters, despite them being privi- privileged in a big regency. Her stories are relatable, again, despite being Regency. She writes really fantastic dialogue and she's a really clever writer. Because like in this, like there are just, there are pieces that you pick up throughout throughout her books that link back to other books. And it's just, it's interesting. So mm-hmm. I gotcha. I understand. Yeah. yeah. And she's just, again, she's one of those authors that treats like her, that treats like a profession, which I always admire in an author. So mm-hmm. I feel like if Shonda Rhimes decides that she, your work is worthy of adaptation, you're you're doing okay you're you're like, doing real good if shonda likes you if shonda likes you you're doing just fine you're doing good things <laughs> if shonda rhymes wanted to adapt my work i would probably die on the spot i feel like it'd just be like i'd throw it at her and be like <laughs> do whatever you want <laughs> i relinquish control it is all you whatever you think is best <laughs> just please invite me to the premiere like i would really i would enjoy seeing it at the premiere please like you don't have to though don't like, <laughs> you don't have to but i i would request an invitation I, yeah, please <laughs> i would like to see it <laughs> but do what you want, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> oh man 
Okay. So, Nathan, as we have kind of teased, you have something for us tonight. Yeah, yeah, I do. We're looking um, at your work again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Um, so, so I'm thinking about the best way to introduce this. So I started this. This will be the first novel of mine that we talk about on here. And this is probably going to be the first novel that I'll try to get published. Um, so I started this in, fuck, when did I? You talked to me about this, like the concept a while back. Mm-hmm. I think I started this in like 2017, 2018, because I was still going up to Erie on a regular basis then. And uh, so what it is, it's it's called The Enemy of the Enemies. And it's it's a little bit of a riff on the place where I went to college, uh, because where I went to college had a lot of like ghost stories, a lot of legends, a lot of shady rumors that uh, existed around it whether it's things like a student gave birth in a bathtub in the dorms and then drowned her own baby, or um, one of the presidents of the university was later implicated in a child sex abuse scandal, or one of the presidents of the university was involved in a money laundering scandal, or at least was rumored to be um, like, it was kind of a play on that, but I you also know, cheery things, cheery yeah, things very, you want associated with your, yeah, with my college. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the thing of it was, was that also like, there were so many aspects of the town that I absolutely loved and I wanted to kind of memorialize and say like, you know, almost give like a love letter to, to the town. Um, but it's also that it, it's written from the point of view of someone who is completely separate from these things. The main protagonist is a guy named Gabriel O'Connor O'Connell, excuse me. Um, and he goes to this college, goes to Erie only because his brother has died. And his brother is purported to have committed suicide. And he goes back home to Indiana to, I, I steal prolifically from my own life in this. Um, I'm an absolutely ruthless thief. Uh, so he goes back to his hometown for the funeral and kind of gets the sense is like, he, he didn't kill himself. I need to go figure out what's going on. Um, and so that's how it kind of all starts. And that's kind of where we're going to go with, with this. But the thing of it is, is that Gabriel and his brother have been completely separated for the past 10, 15 years because Gabriel ran away due to an incident that we're going to get to like middle of the book. And Daniel, his brother was the one that stayed, stayed with his mother and father, and then eventually went to this college. So we're looking at people who ideally came up like kind of in the same environment with a split and became essentially two different people, even though they're identical twins. So, Sorry, just for the context of this story, they've haven't stayed. They are you saying that they haven't stayed in touch, or that they have stayed in touch? They just haven't seen each other. They, they know, like his brother knows that, like both brothers know that the other's alive, but they don't really stay in touch. Like they know enough to know that the other person is alive, but they don't like have a really strong relationship. Okay. If that makes it's something any sense it's the kind of relationship where like you might get an update on them every so often through like a third party but yeah it's like the way that, that sort of thing yeah like kind of like something like that where it's like the way that i kind of envision it is almost like gabriel sends daniel a postcard like once a year just being i'm still alive please don't tell mom and dad that i'm here something like yeah. that yeah that's kind of like how i envision it going but it's like it's a very strained relationship even though like they care like they Gabriel you care enough about- to make sure you care enough to keep them informed of your existence, but yeah. not enough to extend that olive branch, so to speak. Exactly. Yes. So again, this is 
very much still in progress. I, I've completed the, the first draft, but I'm going through and making the rewrites. So that is the, that's, that's where we're at right now. Uh, so if you want, I can get started. Whenever you're ready, we'll mute ourselves. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. So this will be like the first chapter, first and second chapter, I believe. So the enemy of the enemies, chapter one. My brother wrote his own obituary, the 100 word column, one, the 100 word, one column op-ed in his college newspaper was reportedly the last thing he wrote before hanging himself in Pennsylvania. Gabriel O'Connell died on January 5th at the age of 22 and was likely found by his drunken roommates coming home from a night at the cornerstone. Gabriel, while not depressive by nature, had recently entered a bout of darkness, which seemed to lack an exit. And so being the intrepid man, he always claimed to be decided to make an exit by his own hand. He expects that some may miss him. Others will wish him good riddance, but most, but that most will barely notice his passing save for this obituary. His mother, Jill and father, Michael survived him. My brother had written obituaries before for our grandparents, for an uncle or two, possibly others. I must admit that I lost track after the second uncle. I know he didn't write this one because it didn't mention me. Two days later in California, the phone rang at 4 a.m. I sprang from the mattress and snatched it off the hook. The gym owner must not be awoken before sunrise. After seven short years, I heard my mother speak my name, Daniel. There was a breathiness in her voice, a sobbing that she tried to stifle. How'd you get this number, I said, from your brother. Why did he give it to you? He didn't, he's dead. When's the funeral? Next Thursday at the home parish. What time? 10 a.m. I'll be there. I hung up the phone and then took the receiver off the hook. The owner, Robert, found me two hours later, scanning a computer screen. What are you doing? He growled, replacing the phone, trying to download porn or something. Looking for plane tickets, I said. For what? A funeral. For who? My brother. You have a brother? Had. Talk to the boss, get approval to leave the state. Already sent the message. He said, when are you leaving? Next Wednesday morning. When are you getting back? I'll tell you when I know. That ended one of our longest conversations. Robert started sweeping last night's dust from the floor. He was nearly finished when his girlfriend came down the stairs, half-dressed. Good morning, Clara, I said. Good morning, she said, dragging her nails across her barely covered ass. Robert's baggy t-shirt covered her torso, but only shrouded half of her pink thong. What are you doing on the computer so early? Personal matter. Give Clara details and she would ask questions. Questions are always trouble. Fair enough, she said. She started making coffee bending over and showing off her thong. Clara was something of a flirt with me. If the, if the owner didn't notice it, he was blind. And even if he was blind, he probably could have smelled it. Sometimes I wondered whether they cared for each other at all or if they just used each other day in, day out. She used him for a roof and he used her as a sex doll. My tickets to Indiana weren't cheap. They would get me to South Bend Airport at almost eight in the morning, two hours before the funeral started. Transportation to the parish would be handled on arrival. I'm going out for more chalk and cleaning supplies, Robert said. I'll be back before opening. I closed the windows and blocked the computer screen. All right, see you then, I said. The door no sooner shut than Clara hopped on my lap, still wearing her lover's t-shirt. The feeling of skin on my thigh told me she had removed the thong. Get off me, Clara. Come on, she said. Why do you never want to play? Because I don't, I said. He always takes his time. She ran her finger down my cheek, sending chills up my spine. She placed her finger on my lips and tried to open them. 
I clamped my teeth on her thumb. She retracted her hand and jumped from my lap. Why not? She said. Do I need a reason? I said. Clara sat cross-legged on my bed. I'd like one. I picked up a broom and started sweeping, refusing to look at her. I have to work later, okay? I need to stay sharp. She pouted but relented and found her way back upstairs. The last thing I need is an entanglement with a supervisor's woman. I don't know where either of them have been. I did know that getting involved with her could put me in a bad spot with someone who controlled my pay and my housing. Nothing good could come from that. I'd learned that it's better to stay celibate as a monk than fuck with someone who could cause that much trouble. I wasn't lying about needing to work. That gym gig only gave me a roof. It didn't give me spending money. Later that evening, Robert had me pay a call on one of our debtors. Guy was 10K in the hole after placing a bunch of bad bets at the tables. He's a month behind. Interest was weekly, he said. Was? If he doesn't start paying, it will be daily. Go kindly remind him of his responsibility to us. I knocked on the door of some middle-class San Diego jackass around 7 p.m. I wore a car jacket that kept the late winter chill at bay and helped secure the gun concealed on my hips. The door cracked open. I kicked it in. The jackass landed on his back. The fall softened by shag carpeting that must not have been changed since the 70s. Hello, Russell, I said, stepping through the doorway. Who are you? I'm an associate of Endo's. From what I understand, you owe him some money. He scrambled onto his ass and tried to crawl away, protesting that he was going to start paying, that he'd just gotten the money from the bank, that he was good for it. Do we have to do this here? Yeah, we do. You're a month late, and that interest is just going to keep piling up. He crawled. I stepped up. Covering every inch he tried to put between us. He tried to squirm away when my hand grabbed his shirt. Can you fucking stop squirming and listen? I slapped him across his face. Fucking focus, you piece of shit. He cried, but listened. After a few more blows, I left with a chunk of the money he owed. Fresh from a coffee can where he kept it. Pleasure working with you. Let's start sending the rest soon. I walked out the door to find why he wanted the exchange to happen elsewhere. A minivan pulled in the driveway a woman visible through the tinted driver's side. I picked up the pace before she looked my way. I was in my car, ignition turning over, when the kids came out of the minivan with their mom. They were hauling grocery, bag, grocery bags up to the door. I sped from the neighborhood before they could find their father, bruised and bloody. As I drove, the base of my throat burned as stomach acid tried to erupt into my mouth. Families always did that to me. Chapter 2. My one-way flight from California was almost seven hours. I hate sitting still that long, but it beat hitchhiking like I did when I came to California. My small bag didn't need to be checked. I'd fly in my funeral garb. I didn't own another suit. The South Bend airport was sparse at eight in the morning. The coffee shop was near the row of terminals appeared to be only recently open. I called back to California to let them know I'd landed. Keep the phone on you, my, the boss told me. If you're delayed, you better have a good reason. I'm here for a funeral, I said. I'm not looking to turn this into a vacation. Regardless, if you're not heading back within three days, then we're going to have a problem. Whatever, I'll be back. I hung up. My boss didn't like it when people left their jurisdictions, but he was sympathetic to grief, just so long as you came back in a timely fashion. I saw a young woman sitting at one of the coffee shop tables, typing away on a Mac. The blue blazer and gray skirt made me think she was a businesswoman and made me wonder why she was in this town. Excuse me, I said to her. She looked up. Her smile scared me. Yes, sir. Are you from around here? Yes, I am. I work at Notre Dame. Great. Would I be able to catch a cab out front? 
Her head ticked backwards. Like she'd taken offense at the statement. Of course you can. Where? How else would you get into town? I don't know. I've never been here before. She turned and pointed towards the exit. The cab should be right outside the door. Welcome to South Bend. Will we be staying long? I don't think so. The speakers blared out a boarding call for Detroit. The woman rose from the table and said, that's my flight. Hope you enjoy your time here. Maybe I'll run into you again. She smiled again as she packed up her computer. Doubt it, I thought. She passed by me, dragging her roller bag. I headed for the exit, adjusting my backpack on my shoulder. I hailed one of the cabs and told him the address of the church. He shook his head and then drove off for the state roads. The drive took 40 minutes, and I made it to the church an hour before the first mourners appeared. I waited inside the large wooden doors until I heard the cars pull up outside. The lead black car pulled up in front of the church steps, and my mother climbed out. She opened her arms wide and called my name. She didn't sound too upset. Hi, mother, I said. She hugged me tight and broke down crying. I let go and pulled away. The pleasantries were over now. My sober father exited the car shortly after my mother started breaking down. I couldn't see any trace of emotion beyond the typical scowl I remembered. I never remember him smiling. His black suit looked baggy on him. He didn't say a word to me or my mother. He brushed past and entered the church. The last passenger was a young woman I hadn't seen before. Her black dress and dark coat made the cream whiteness of her skin more noticeable. She ran from the car and wrapped her arms around my sobbing mother. She helped her to her feet and walked beside her into the church. The young woman never looked at me. My parents and the young woman went for the first row. I took my place in one of the back rows. St. Joseph's Church hadn't changed. The carpeting was still a bland gray and the stained glass windows still looked menacing. Only the painting and the ceiling looked different. It looked restored. My last memory of the place had the paint of St. Joseph's face peeling and the halos of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph all faded beyond sight. The painting looked fresh now. I studied it as the priest droned on. The painting was a welcome distraction. My boss, Endo, had once told me that some kinds of pain couldn't be focused on but had to be ignored. Letting it take hold is almost certain death. I couldn't look at the, cas the ca casket with the crucifix laid on top of it. When the time came for communion, almost the entire church went forward to receive. I stayed in the back row pew. If I believed, I would have been in no state to receive. I stayed in my seat until the casket left the church and the mourners processed out. I tapped a random shoulder and hitched a ride to the burial. Winter in Indiana has a bitter cold. With none but the pine trees still bearing any shade of green, the wind and snow pierce right through any layers you wear. The diggers had just finished the hole when we all arrived. The priest sped through the prayers. His chattering teeth destroyed his words. Once the casket was in the dirt, everyone sped back to their cars. Old man Winter stomped out any urge I had to stay and soak in the reality of my brother's death. I hitched a ride back to my old house where the drinking had started. Beer bottles had been chilling at the house since last night. Shortly after I walked in, the first toast rang out in the living room. Here's to a good man. I saw my father drinking a glass of water. The young woman stood beside him. She raised a bottle of beer and took a drink when they toasted Gabriel. The next toast. Here's to a short life, well lived. The young woman drank again. The last toast. Here's to a saint in heaven. The young woman held the bottle near her waist, refusing to drink. My father walked away from her. I grabbed the bottle from one of the coolers and headed towards her. When I said hello, she peered at me from the corner of her eye. I extended my hand to her. You must be the brother, she said. I dropped my hand without shaking hers.
She could have only known me because of Gabriel. No one else recognized me. He looked just like him, she said, except for the scar. That was the way folks told us apart. I was the damaged one. Who might you be then? Carly Maxwell, a friend of his. Just a friend? The bottle opener scraped against the cap but didn't open it. I almost broke it trying to get traction and open it. Cap didn't pop off until the fourth try. You from around here? No. Went to school with him. I was given an invitation. She took a long swig from the beer bottle. By who? I said, taking a long gulp of my beer. I almost spat it out. This Canadian stuff was awful. Gabe, Gabriel invited you to his funeral? Weird, huh? Just gave me an envelope and told me to follow the directions if something happened. Three days later, she drew a fingernail across her throat like crossing an item off a grocery list. Odd coincidence, I said, or good foresight. Why would you think that? Call it a hunch. Her slight shrug hinted it, it was something more to me, but this wasn't the place to talk about that. How much longer are you here? Only another day. Your parents have offered me a room. I go back home after that. What about you? Maybe another day. I have to start heading back soon as well. Heading back where? Places. She chuckled. Cagey, huh? Scared of being traced or something? Yeah. Call it something of a habit. My eyes drifted to my parents in the corner of the room. My mother was trying to smile as people talked to her. My father wasn't. Only Gabriel's name rang in my ear when they spoke or anyone spoke to them. My brother was still here, drifting like a heavy mist through the room, saturating and permeating every conversation, every person. So this is what a funeral feels like, I thought. Anyway, I think I might be crashing here tonight, so I get the feeling we'll have more time to talk. We'll see, she said. The crowd of people split and diverged away from me as I walked through the rooms of my old home. Whether they recognized me or didn't, the effect must have been chilling. My face was Gabriel's face, with a scar cutting across my cheek. My wandering stopped when I reached the dining room. An impromptu shrine to the deceased had been laid out on the fine dark wood table. Photographs, poems, candles, even a manuscript of a novel he'd been trying to write. The obituary allegedly written by Gabriel was propped up against the main photograph. Reading it for the first time, it stung like a bad injection. My brother wrote a suicide note in a campus newspaper, but didn't tell me anything was wrong. He was the only member of the family who knew I was alive in California, but he couldn't tell me that he'd rather die than see me again. Reading it again, reading it a second time, I realized something was wrong. Gabriel didn't write it. I slipped outside for a smoke, looking for any excuse to avoid the suffocating mist in the room. Death sinks in slowly like a spike driven through stone, the joke that no one enjoys anymore, the song no one sings, or the interminable list of things which tap the spike deeper into the heart until the final thwack of the hammer drives home the horror that a life has vanished from this world. Every mention of Gabriel's name seemed like another tap of the hammer, and the people in the room had nothing else to discuss. One cigarette was too short of a break. I smoked at least three before the cold got me, and my fingers started going numb. I went back into the mist and grabbed another bottle of beer, hoping someone had brought something a bit stronger. So that's the first couple of chapters. I see a lot of comments on the on the uh, excerpt. <laughs> you know me. I do know you, and you I got in there with formatting, man. <laughs> yeah, I fully. And I, I was taking more notes while you were reading. So yeah. Oh, good lord! Yes, fantastically. 
No, I mean, like, I understand that there are like some issues with it. I know I'm still working through. That's why I wanted to, I kind of wanted to do this. I also apologize. I had the wrong, I mix up the names because Gabriel is the one that gets mentioned more often. Daniel is the one that's still alive. Gabriel is the one that's dead. So that's the, that was okay. the reason that I was confused. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. kind of figured right. it was just, it was just, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but. But that answers one of my questions of, do we ever get the narrator's name? Because it's two chapters in and we don't. Yes. Well, okay. like we hear it once. I think it's the mom. The mom says it. Yeah. But like, it's only once, which is very, it's, it, it was an, was that an intentional choice? Yeah. I wanted it to be, a, I wanted it to be a rare thing that you hear his name because it's almost like, I don't know if you guys have ever read Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Um, so oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you go like, so it's narrated in the first person. I believe, yeah, in the first person, mm-hmm. you go the entire novel, you never actually hear the narrator's name. And you, you never do. Yeah, you only hear the you only hear Rebecca's name, and her name is not like her name, like Rebecca's the name of the ex-wife of the of mm-hmm. the person that she marries. So it's one of those things of I almost want she's always identity. the second Mrs. DeWinter. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I almost want his identity to be partially subsumed by Gabriel's like ghost. Okay. So okay, that makes that since, makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So since we since it is only the mom who says this, and as I, I don't know if you had the same kind of gut reaction to this as I did. I am, and I want to be clear. I like this beginning. I think I want mm-hmm. to know what happens. I want to know why the brother died. I want to know all these. I things. know. Like, I, 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 I just keep book. thinking about. I need, I need more. <laughs> yeah. Like I want more. Yeah. But I am very like. It doesn't sit right with me that these parents, so if Gabriel and Daniel are twins, Gabriel was 22, these parents haven't seen Daniel since he was 15. That's not right. There's got to be more, he was the a reaction minor. needs to be either yeah. ice cold or it's just, and there's also comes the question of since they're described as looking alike except for the scar. I mean, if you're a mother and you haven't seen your other son for seven years and he's identical to your uh, to your other son who's just died what does that do to you yeah, yeah. like I, I feel like that yeah. reaction needs to either it needs to be like so much stronger and so much more if it's if she doesn't seem upset is it forced is it that whole thing of uh, at a she funeral, like flinching away from him like yeah yeah, yeah no, needs that like it just needs to be like a just a gut punch of a rea- it's a gut punch of a reaction is yeah. you're seeing yeah. a child that you that you probably have thought is lost mm-hmm. that you probably thought was dead from the south you've, of it, you've you probably like, written off completely yeah she must have like when her, when gabriel died from what you the context of the story it must have been that she thought both her sons were dead mm-hmm. one like this one finds back to out life. that finds like a phone number and a name and, and then just, she's like okay with him not sitting with her at the funeral they don't talk to him at all my mother would march to the back of that church and drag me up by my ear <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i don't know a single mom even people who like have bad relations with their moms i don't know a single mom that wouldn't be left her seven They're years not your kid, <laughs> like be like holding you the mm-hmm. entire time right like there's and so if there is a reason right like if they blame him for something if there was like awful awful blood the mm-hmm. fact that the dad doesn't speak to him says a lot. So, like, just amp that up more. Like, that this level of whatever it is 
doesn't make sense. Okay. I need more with that interaction. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's un, so it's understated too much. It's too yeah. understated. It yeah. needs to be. It needs to be out, more out there. Okay. Yeah, you could even have it that she like breaks down because he does look like Dan. Yeah, like and I think that could be a good time to introduce that he yeah. looks that he, that yeah. Daniel and Gabriel look alike. And then she kind of realizes that what she feels she's like done. that she's seeing Gabriel's face and. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I can I can see where you're going with this, and I, I like it. Cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So, what else you got for me? Yeah. Um. So, my guess is that the relationship between the brothers, you've kind of explained it, just like to give us the context, and I'm sure that it will be like built upon as the story goes on. But I think one of the contrasts that really strikes me is that Gabriel was somehow close to, at least, um, spiritually close to his brother. Um, but very distanced as well. And that feels like a weird place to start the story of why he is so sure that his brother didn't write the obituary. So is it that he is just so intimately familiar with his brother's writing style? Is it that he's been following his writing? Is it that he is so... How does he know what tips to look for? What's the tip off? Yeah. I think initially what this had been... um, I think initially, like, I thought I had had enough explanation with it's just that the obituary didn't mention Daniel. Um, but I also know that, like, given some of the other stuff that's been added, mm-hmm. or given, like, some of the stuff that came later, I understand that that's not enough of a justification. So, I like, I understand that I need to add more into it. I'm just not sure. Like, I think it may be something where it's, like, Daniel is following him from California, but he, but he's not letting Gabriel know. Like, as in, like, he's keeping mm. tabs, he's keeping tabs on Gabriel, but he's not, like, getting actively involved in Gabriel's life because he doesn't want to leave too much of a footprint. Like, I guess is the best way of putting it because, okay. yeah. But it just didn't mean it, that reaction, the realization that um, it's, it, for me, there are, like, the two um, major points for more emotional impact that weren't re- really being hit for me. It was the mother reacting to Daniel first. Mm-hmm. Like, that just needs to be, yeah, that's where you realize that he doesn't have this, this really relationship with his family at all. Like you, you can he can talk about, it, he can say it, but mm-hmm. that moment is when you realize what what's been lost over the past years mm-hmm. in terms of family relationship. And then that realization of this isn't my brother, this isn't his writing. He didn't write this. Mm-hmm. I think it could be a combination of things. If I like the idea of him following. Gabriel from California. I think mm-hmm. even just he could take a subscription out from that newspaper, right? Even like, like they, the idea of him having a burner Facebook account is kind yeah. of yeah, yeah, that's valid. And then there's yeah, also what I mean. It's I think it's human nature of like of no matter speaking as somebody that has never been whose parents are literally downstairs right now. Um, that's how close I am to my parents. Um, there's this, just this intrinsic need to check on people mm-hmm. to kind of know it's it's a human thing mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and i think for um it, it feels like that's the only member of his family that he does still care about like if gabriel called him and said mom's dead i don't know that he would go to the funeral if mm-hmm. he said dad's dead definitely don't think he would have gone to the funeral yeah there gabriel's dead. a connection of this is what was enough to bring him back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I think also you could amp up that Carly says he gave me instructions, right? Like that's, yeah, that's a weird. giant red flag. <laughs> that's um, weird. <laughs> and that she doesn't answer the toast of like, here's to another Satan heaven. Like, 
A. Yeah, Did you have things, a those good relationship? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. just like downplay it a little bit too much. Like those things oh. could be like a, even if it's just like a. This hmm, seems off. Knows yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that comes like a little bit in the next chapter. Um, so like yeah. chapter, th- like chapter three, like it actually, it gets a little bit more into Daniel's kind of figuring out that Carly, like there's a little bit more to the relationship between Carly and Gabriel than, um, than she's let on. Like in the next chapter, he actually gets like, he actually gets a mail package that was sent to, sent to his old home, sent to like his childhood home addressed for him. And he gets the package and he realizes that something has gone like wrong. Like Gabriel has sent him something prior to his own death and something has gone wrong. And that's when he starts talking with Carly and just being like, do you think he killed himself? And she's flatly says, (laughs) no. Um, So it's like, that's when the relationship starts building. I don't think that that's necessarily, you don't have to answer everything right away. Right. But even if he's just like, like just even a simple, like that was odd or just like a bigger reaction to the obituary or like he takes the obituary and he's like, what is this right like and he can't mm-hmm. deal with it right then because he's he just wants to drink he doesn't want to think about it whatever mm-hmm. i think it just needs a little bit more of an explanation or a little bit more of a reaction than what you currently have and then you it can more down into the deep dive yeah and then yep. you can get more into the deep dive as the story goes on mm-hmm. but i think just you don't necessarily have to unravel everything it's just more of a no. reaction beyond oh this isn't it more of a this isn't it here. Like, this doesn't seem right. Here's what led me to like, this thing doesn't seem right. Arrow it to this isn't him. Yeah. yeah. Or like this happened versus this happened. And it was weird. Right. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Just no. That little bit add on. Yeah. yeah I, I think initially when I started writing this, I was trying like very, very minimalistic, Like I didn't want to mm-hmm. like, I was trying to go very, very understated. And now I realized like, I realized that certain things don't quite work. Um, yeah. like I, I noticed um, you guys. That was, that yeah. was a question that I had for you, just for hearing you read it out loud. Um, are, are you by nature more of a minimalist writer when it comes to describing scene, setting a scene and that kind of thing? I can be. Um, okay. Because I'm just, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm, I, almost, I almost put in my notes, raise your hand if you've been to a, a graveside service in January. I actually have, and that's like I have too. Yay! Yeah, yeah. that shit is cold. Yeah, like I feel like you could really like lean into the Midwest in January, like how bleak and desolate and frozen that is, and like how that chill gets into your bones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think for that, for me, that's something that I think could really just like really, really hammer in the sense of isolation that he has. Also, raise your hand if you've ever been to a Midwestern funeral wake thing. Think about all the food that's there, right? Think oh about the God, description so of the house. Food. Like, there's so much house. Like, you can talk about, like, how his mom was just, like, overwhelmed with, like, all the things. Five different right? like, types of funeral potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> 20 different pies. Like, all these like, things, just, right? Just, like, just describe, like, a stack of casseroles and... <laughs> I, I, Jello I, I know, like, it's just, I'm, again, I've been to way too many funerals in the past few years for, from family members, but there's mm-hmm. a lot, at Catholic funerals, there's, like, so much food and noise, mm-hmm. but, like, it's, there's kids noise. running around, there are there's... kids running around, yeah, yeah, that's so valid, and my grandmother's wake, my youngest, my youngest cousin, who was seven, came up to me and shook my hand and told me that he was sorry that my grandma died, <laughs> I remember my uncle's wake, I was like, honey, yeah. 
Oh man. I remember at my uncle's wake uh, and he died very suddenly and I had really little cousins. My cousins were taught the soldier boy dance at a wake. Yeah. My family's weird. I'm not saying include that in your story. I'm saying that there's a it's lot just, of interaction. It's sense of like, yeah, it's just, it's weird. And then yeah. um, my one note here is with the lowering of the coffin into the dirt, they don't actually do that. Yeah. I, I told I re- you my motto was actually. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> valid. That's valid. I was, th- and I was thinking about it, how you can really nail that is that um, they give the crucifix from the top of the coffin to the, to a loved one, like mm-hmm. just replace, switch, swap that in with them giving the crucifix to the, their mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he can like do flower tangible toss, right? Like that was always bring back thing. in. Yeah. yeah. And like the, like you can even talk about like, if you want to do the bleak thing, like you toss flowers on top of the casket, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like adding in something with that and he just like, it's like all the life of the flowers against the deadness of the earth. This also, the funeral brings up one of my questions. So at the top, you said that he knew that his, uh, my brother had written obituaries for our grandparents, for an uncle or two, possibly others. He lost track. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but then he says, so this is what a funeral feels like. So he somehow kept, Yeah. So he's been to funerals, but he hasn't been to funerals or he's been to like, he's kept enough track with the brother's writing, but then he doesn't recognize like that doesn't, that doesn't match. Yeah. Like he's either like kept track of his brother's writing through those obituaries or he was been to funerals. funerals. Yeah. And again, weirdo, I have written the family obituaries for those who have passed recently. And that's not something that like, that's something that I had to kind of like claw for even in my Mm twenties. I think so. It's like, it's not necessarily a job that you give a teenager. I think what that may, I think like the way that I can describe that is that it's like, it had had been a very long time for him. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's like something where almost I could even like, I could even put it as like Gabriel volunteered for it. Um, Okay. Yeah. No, that'd be fine too. So, so I think like the, the number one thing, like I like the way that you guys are like describing, it's like, this is how you like, show the sense of isolation because I want to show like, he's got a massive disconnect from everything that like had given Gabriel is like his own personality and his own foundation. Like there's a huge disconnect, even though they came from the same place. Yeah. So, what? Yeah. And I, I think, think that kind of goes about it, those just... years of like 15, say he left at 15, 15 to 22. Those are such big years for your personal development. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Like yeah. you become, you're a completely different person at um, 14 than you are at 22. Mm-hmm. Also like describe his suit, right? Like, I feel like you could even just yeah, describe his good one suit that he has. Like his dad, like that can be the one interaction he has with his dad is like, hasn't seen him in seven years and is like, your suit's wrinkled. What the fuck? Right? Like, or your suit yeah. looks, like, like, looks like shit. Something like that. Yeah. Like, something to just to twist the knife in. Like, yeah. 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 And like, like, look at him and just he... like, your suit looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. It does he cut his hair the same way? Like, does he, like, his mom sees him and is immediately like, whatever, but it's, the same face but they can't have had like they probably didn't have the same haircut they probably like he's probably more muscular than his brother he's probably more this or that or the other he carries so just like differently something yeah, like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. is that I something that like, i think description would, would be a really good way to just emphasize that because i think when your dialogue is minimal then you can like short up more with the descriptions is how i kind of always approach writing it's kind of like a balance balancing act between the two mm-hmm. and um to jump back with your description of clara you can push that to make that so much more unsettling. Oh yeah. And like, oh, gross. like yeah. I'm reading it. And I was like, it's kind of gross feeling push it. 
Okay. Make All it right. grosser. I, I thought you I, I thought you guys wanted me to like cut it. Oh no, no. I thought about it at first. I was like, no, mm-mm, push it. No, like is she getting off on like him? Yeah, like what the hell is this girl's watching deal? her? <laughs> also, like on that note, so she is his boss, like his second boss's girl. Yeah. But he's giving her an opening. He's not like just outright rejecting her. He mm-hmm. bites her and then says, I have to work. Like I, I, to I need to stay sharp. Not just like get the fuck off of like, me. Shove Never her. touch like, me again. Like, this has clearly happened before. Yeah. Why does this does he actually is he at all attracted to her? Like when it is gross, like when he's or... yeah. Like I, can I, he feel himself getting hard on her and just being like, nope, 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 yeah. shut so, down. Right. So I, so I think like part of the, like initially, so this has gone, like that scene has actually gone through like three rounds of edits or something like that. <laughs> the initial, the initial take of the scene was actually like, yeah, she takes him to bed. The second scene is that like, he's like, I see the fact, like I can see the, I can see her genitalia because she doesn't have any underwear on and like, she's clearly showing it off and I'm just trying my best not to look at it. Um, and then we ended up at like the scene that I read. Um, and I think like the middle, like the middle way of just being a middle like, right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I do want it to be very clear is that like, he has, a he has problems. Like he wants to resist, but he also understands that the reason he's resisting, it's not because he's virtuous. It's because mm-hmm. he's just trying to avoid trouble. Yes. Right. And I think that, I think emphasizing, I think uh, adding a little bit more description there, that's really going to emphasize that like, he's not, he's not resisting because he's a good guy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's and I feel like he doesn't want to shit where he sleeps. Yeah, yeah, that. And I think you can do it this way of, she doesn't have to like, I feel like, I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know a lot of girls who just like walk around and are like, look, my vagina. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, that's something you don't generally show her up. <laughs> her sitting on his lap and kind of like showing that she's turned on like he can feel that she's turned on versus like feel her skin because that's not really a thing yeah um, no it's... just make it really crude that she's like she could even just like yeah. eh, eh, right like she could touch herself on his lap and be like hi like i'm clearly <laughs> and he's like and then she can like and that can be the thing of like oh he always takes his time like as she's feeling him get hard on her and like, he's like just, i gotta i gotta stay sharp i gotta stay sharp leave me alone. <laughs> yeah you gotta push it you're gonna go yeah, there you gotta, you gotta push go that there. shit okay all right i, I i'm i'm and getting this, that I'm, we were gonna put we were gonna tell you to cut it we're like no make it gross <laughs> no make it gro- oh shit <laughs> I'm, I'm actually happier with that. i have books i can send you <laughs> i'm i'm sure I you do. i can give you a reading list <laughs> By all means, by all means, I I would actually I I don't read books with a lot of sex scenes because often the sex scenes I read are incredibly bad. Like yeah, it, it's a delicate balance between cringe and um, decent. That's another entire lecture of mine is how they've improved over the past ten years. But um, yeah, I mean that's yeah. actually the best compliment I've ever gotten about my writing is someone who like clearly was just like trying to flub his way through something, read something I wrote and was like, your sex scenes are real. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Ignore the plot, ignore character development. You write a good sex scene. Thank you. Right. I, can, yeah. I can take there my trophy go. now. <laughs> the, the the last book, aside, aside from yours, Kirsten, the last book I read that had like any big descriptions of sex scenes, because again, it's just not something I read, was uh, the Red Sparrow trilogy, like the first two books of the Red Sparrow oh, trilogy. Absolute. Yeah 
garbage. That guy should have stayed in the CIA and never written a public word. Absolute garbage. Men really don't do them well. No, it's like it reads like <laughs> bad porn. Like Jason Matthews reads. Have you ever like, seen the uh, winners of like the bad sex fiction prize? Yeah. No, actually, I have not. My favorite is like the things where it's like women walk down the steps and her breasts flopped in the brain. Like, have you ever seen a pair of breasts? <laughs> not on television? I don't think they have. I don't think they've ever actually seen a woman naked. I would I've like, had sex in the dark. Through I would sheet. like. I would like to think that I don't write sex scenes like that, but I also know that like, I know I could push it. So yeah. All right. You want to make him, you want to make the, you want to make the narrator feel uncomfortable at you, but you also want to make us feel uncomfortable. Okay. That's that I can do that. I can you want to wear your book. Wear your book. Yeah. I, the first time I read it, it's like, you cut it. You. And then I read it again. <laughs> yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. let's make this gross. <laughs> yeah. I think because right now it's at this weird middle ground of you yeah like and i think i want it to be uncomfortable because the narrator's uncomfortable so we can feel that like give and take right of like he doesn't know where she's been but she's here humping his leg right like people have needs so it's hard i got you i i I get i get weird i get i'm picking up what you're putting down (laughs) yeah um (laughs) I think (laughs) one other thing with this is that the first line of the book, kind of going back to what we talked about before, with it being a bigger moment with my brother wrote his own obituary, I think you either need to add, my brother wrote his own obituary, at least that's what they told me, or they said my brother wrote his own obituary. I think it needs to be a little bit clear because then you immediately contradict yourself Mm -hmm. at the end of that paragraph. So I don't know if... Allison, if you disagree with me, but I, I think, think the I think changing it to I think changing that opening line will make it it plants that seed of doubt that much quicker. Mm-hmm. It kind of it's that first. Oh, I couldn't figure out why my screen was jiggling, and I was like, "Oh, he's typing." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "I I want to get that down like right now." Yeah, at least that's yeah. what they told me. That creates yeah. immediately doubt, doubt on who the they is. If that's their family, if that's Carly, it just it comes to kind of. Yeah, context to everything that comes after mm-hmm. yeah and also one thing to think about is that if he is following his brother's writing did he see the obituary did he get that paper did he see that alert or before? is he seeing he it even... for the first time at the funeral at the, at the yeah mm-hmm. yeah like and then when how did he, he just like did the google alerts just stop like mm-hmm. that sort yeah. of thing yeah i think like so part of what this was is because his brother's writing for a college newspaper it wouldn't necessarily operate the same way where it's like you get like a Google alert, like maybe you got an email mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but often the way it, like the way that it operated, at least when I was writing for my college newspaper, is that if you want to check it in online, like you were emailed a link, something like that. So if he, like he may have gotten the email with the link containing the, like the email contained the links of the paper, but he may not have mm-hmm. checked it yet or something like that. But it's like, I do like the idea of like him actually reading it and then just thinking like, this is, this is off. Like, yeah. And then it kind of drags up the question of when does he read it? Because just scanning this, it immediately, um, he hears his mother, his mother calls him. He starts planning, he starts planning to leave. He leaves. Um, it kind of was like, if he sees it for that first time, you kind of establish a little bit more clearly that he sees it for the first time at that, at that gathering. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're just a little bit more grounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Although, with that, I would say it's not 
completely unfeasible, but I've never actually seen an obituary printed out at a funeral. No, maybe that's just yeah, me. true. That's a very odd thing for me. Okay. So I would say maybe know, he like. I know yeah. I've seen um, shortened obituaries on the back of like memorial cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And a hundred word obituary would fit on a memorial card, but it's kind of. So that's off. also a weird one to put on the back of a memorial yeah. card. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's that's valid. Okay. All right. So I'll I, so I can take it out of the, I take it out of the funeral, but I make it so that he reads it before he goes to the funeral. Yeah, and it's maybe something that he just thinks about and he thinks about, and somebody mentioned maybe like somebody mentions it at the funeral, or something like that. Like if Carly says, yeah, like if Carly is like, oh, I got this letter, like mm, weird, and then when he's smoking, he like goes and reads it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, he just like reads through the last thing he wrote again, and is like, wait, wait a second. Yeah. Wait yeah. a second. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that way of doing it a little bit better than the way I had it. Because when I initially wrote this, it had been a very long time since I'd been to a funeral. So, um, so that was part of it. And then also the funeral I went to was not something that was necessarily the most joyous event. <laughs> um, so they sell them are. Yeah. Well, it was. It was. Yeah, I think it was my grandmother's funeral, and she was. There was a weird thing, but that's that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, it I I I, I like all the changes. Another thing I just remembered. Yep. Suicides can't be it can't be consecrated in um Catholic Mass. So they actually changed that. They did. Oh, okay. Yeah, they did. Really? They changed that. Yeah, because what it it Ooh, good research. To, yeah, it used to be um it used to be that anyone who committed suicide was automatically deemed like, you know, can't can yeah. happen. Um, but the the last I heard, it was that there are priests who actually deem it mm-hmm. that anyone who has actually committed suicide, they they must have been mentally ill and therefore not in their rational mind, and therefore they okay. can't necessarily be judged nope. for that action. Um that was the last I that was the last I heard of it. I mean, unless there's been like some drastic doctrinal change, but I know <laughs> whoever knows. I mean, yeah, like things are things are changing. Um, from time to time. Um, but I, but last I checked there, there, like you could actually have, you could Catholic actually have mass. A, okay. a Catholic mass for a suicide. Yes. Unrelated, I did, not... did you guys see no. that the Pope told Joe Biden he could still take um, Eucharist at yeah. Yeah, masses because he was a good yeah. Catholic? <laughs> I, I saw and I was just kind of like, I can't, this sounds like Joe Biden said that. The I Pope was more like, why too. is this a news? Why is this well, a there, news there, story? there are a bunch of conservative Catholic bishops that are trying to get like the Pope to ban um, Biden and a lot of other pro-choice politicians from being able to take communion. Yeah. And I think Francis is more of like, we have bigger fish to fry people. Can you calm the hell yeah. down? Can we yeah. like just nip this in the bud? It's Let's focus fine. on some other things here. I don't think this is the squeaky wheel that needs the grease right now. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I'm just kind of like, that's actually one of the things I really like about Francis is that he's pretty, he's pretty blunt about this. It's like, yes, abortion is an important issue, but we also have climate change and, and like, poverty. Sec- like these are kind yeah. of important too. Yeah. Or also Lots like, the, or, or also the sex clean out our scandal. own house of certain yeah. things yeah, first. Let's focus you know? here. Yeah, it's like or also like the sex abuse scandal that some of these conservative bishops yeah. didn't fucking deal with. Um, yeah, I've got. Anyways, uh, that, I feel that like actually, in that, co- sense, that actually comes up in this novel. I do address that in this okay. novel because I'm pissed right. off about it. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, but <laughs> That's go we on, all Chris- should be. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like even, it, I think it's also got to be a little bit dependent on the home parish thing yeah, as well, it right? Yeah, dependent on the priest too. Yeah. But I think if you, so I maybe, think you need kind of that little bit of the rooting in the Catholic ritual for the for the novel mm-hmm. that yeah. you could just kind of hand wave that their priest is okay with it. Because I think you need yeah. that setting and that experience to kind of really make it sink. Yeah, yeah, like even if it's just like in the thing he says, like he was clearly not in his right mind or something, and that makes Daniel like really uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Of like. And I even think, like, just looping back to a conversation to earlier when we're talking about how, like, their mother would, like, any mother would drag you to the front row, front pew. Uh-huh. It makes that much more of a statement if he doesn't get up for communion and then he's sitting in the front row. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. does. It makes so. that much, because, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And it's like, the thing of it is, is that it, throughout the novel, the plan is that it's going to keep referencing back to the fact it's like, Gabriel was like trying to be like a good Catholic, like actually like was like was actually trying to follow his faith. And then Daniel just went in the completely opposite direction. And it's like, it's trying to have like the reconciliation of the mm-hmm. two um, where it's like, it's, it's, it's another element by which you show the fantastic divide between the two of them. So, yeah. 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 So it's not going to even be his mom trying to like reconcile with Daniel, right? Of being like, no, like you'll sit with us. You'll sit with us. And then that is like a line in the sand. This is not the time to, yeah. 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 And then that's like a line in the sand of, I'm not getting the communion. Then they're like, we don't know what to say to you. And they're like, oh, our car is full. Get a ride with somebody else or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another way of doing it where it's just kind of like, you know, or, or even it could even be like on him where it's just kind of like, I, I don't go where I'm not wanted. And so he like hitches a ride with someone else. Like he he, he gets the yeah. sense that he's out of place. Or um, if it's like, if it's that big of a divide, right? That they're like, if they hate him that much, if there was that much bad blood that they're like, they are very much like you are rose full, right? You can't sit with or us. They're like, you can't sit with us. <laughs> you can't sit with us. Um, Being girls of St. Joseph's. <laughs> So sorry, it was right there. No, I, I I fully understand why you did it. Um, so like for a little bit of context, like explain like what the bad blood is. Um, so it goes like there's a reason I said that like his sober father showed up. I'm gonna allude that like his father was a drunk. His like his father was an alcoholic mm-hmm. who beat who beat Daniel and Gabriel and their mm-hmm. mother, and Daniel was the one who was just kind of like we're not getting any help from like the neighbors who say they care. The church isn't fucking helping. I got to deal with this because he was tired of seeing Gabriel and his mother get beat up and he tries to kill his father and Gabriel stops him. And that's the reason that he leaves is because he runs off in the night. Cause he's like, I, I, I need to go because that's the way that like Gabriel and Gabriel and his mother are going like Gabriel and mom are like, not going to have to deal with me. Um, mm-hmm. But it's one of those things of like, that's how he ends up in California. So he tries to kill his father and fails. And so he has to leave. Um, and that's like the bad blood between him and his father, where it's just kind of like, you fucking tried to kill me. Um, how the fuck am I looking you in the eye? Like, why are you here? So, yeah. Which I mean, Which even I... throwing in that line about the suit, like a little, throwing in something about like a Snyder mark about the suit, like that could be a good way to show that relationship a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, like, or you're like at if the your mom son, says you're, you're at your son's funeral. You've just seen your other son that you haven't seen in years. The first thing you say to him is that he looks like shit. 
Yeah. Yeah. But that's not a and good then idea. that could even be, it could even, it doesn't even necessarily have to be to him, right? It could be like mm-hmm. the mom tries to pull him up to sit with them in the front row and he's <laughs> like, like he can't, yeah, not looking like that. He can sit back there. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He can, he can sit in the back where he belongs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. And then like that divides the mom with like, is never having taken his side, always deferred to the dad, which cl- sounds like is what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? These are just ideas, right? Like you don't have to yeah. do any of these things, but like just throw in a lot of things at you. Of things but but no, can. honestly, I like it because it's one like of those little things crumbs like, that allude to the relationship that will be built on yeah. further down. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like the ability of being able to like kind of see it a little bit more. This is one of the reasons why I kind of suck at writing novels um, because it's, um, but I like what you guys are saying is like the way of like kind of seeding it a little bit more because I want people to be drawn in right from the start, as opposed to having to like kind of drag on and just be like, why is this happening? Why is this actually going on? Um, so I like what you guys are saying and I want to incorporate it. So, and I think it does, does it does really hook me from the beginning of like my brother, they told me my brother wrote his own obituary and the, like, and the obituary doesn't include me. Right, like that's a really good hook to start off. Yeah, it is. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I mean, I I wanted to be I wanted to be something that was attention grabbing, um, just because I. It's a like, good attention grabber. Yeah, it's I, really good. I, I appreciate that very much. So I just hope that like I can pull all the disparate threads of this thing together because I wanted to like have aspects of like organized crime and Catholicism and ghost stories mm-hmm. and like all this weird shit that it's it's. Again, it's I want it to be like a very perverted way of talking about my college experience in a way that was fun and horrifying and absolutely terrible and fantastic. So you know, it's a love letter to this city, but also it's a uh, not a love letter at all. <laughs> this place is fucking awful. Also, yeah, <laughs> a, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there's there's so much weird shit that's happened there. Like, like. Yeah. Yeah, like Erie, Pennsylvania, if you ever want to look it up, it's an absolutely fucking, it's a great town with great people, but there's some fucking weird shit that's happened there. Like, You know, I love a town where fucking weird shit has happened. Well, it's like, so, I don't know if you guys ever heard about the Pizza Bomber, but, so, there was actually a, there was a series of bank heists that happened in Erie, and I'm going to butcher this explanation, but there was, it was, a guy who was told to deliver a pizza to a house. He shows up to the house. They take him hostage and they put a bomb around his neck. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I did yes. hear this one. That happened in Erie. And it was broadcast live on television. I actually know a family that babysat for the anchor reporting the story. Um, and it's like weird shit like that happens. Or like there was a gang leader in Cleveland in the seventies who got taken out by a bomb at a dentist's office. The guy who killed him was from Erie and still lives in the retirement home. Last I checked, um, as a verified mob assassin. Did you know all of this before you went to college there? Oh no. I found that. I found that out. I (laughs) I found that out while I was living there. Um, I found that out while I was living there and while I was dating a girl from there. So Mm. Yeah. Um, my, my ex was from Erie and her family told me a lot of these stories as well. And like, they, like they're absolutely fantastic. And like, I also, I worked in the attorney general's office with the Bureau of Narcotics Investigations and the chief of that office actually went and talked with the mob assassin, like would actually go and see him on like a regular basis. Last I checked. Um, All right. just have conversations with him. So that's, I, I hear your life. 
I hear about these things secondhand and like, I just, I find them so fascinating. Like there was also apparently a, there was a guy who apparently used to hunt students with a knife, like right between the, the edge of campus and the CVS and the liquor store that's right next door. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great place. All to go right. to it was a great place to go to college and it was awful in the winter, but it was a great place to go to college. <laughs> can imagine. Uh, that cheery note. Um, <laughs> cannot wait to read more of this. Um, mm. Probably not at night. Um, <laughs> to read more of this, and I'm so intrigued by the rest of the story. So I really hoping that the rest of it shows up in my inbox very soon. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Allison, for coming on. And yeah, uh, everyone else, please like, subscribe, rate us on Apple Podcasts, submit your stuff to darkwaterspodcast at gmail.com, tell your friends about us. You know all the all the things. <laughs> Rent a balloon. <laughs> sky, sky, sky ride it across the, the 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 bright blue sky. You know, get a banner and put it on the Wienermobile. I don't know. <laughs> this is Dark Waters. Basket, it's fine. Dark Waters podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> get us a fruit basket. Send us liquor. Either way works. Um, <laughs> Mostly the liquor. <laughs> Not that we need any more of that. But uh, and remember to always look beneath the surface. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.